This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Despite the fact that, as you know, I don't believe in time, I find myself often wishing I had more of it for the things I want to do, the things that give me joy and peace and spark my creativity. But often, it feels like life's obligations can be overwhelming, and I run out of energy for the things that really matter to me. Therapy is a great way to help not only hone in on what's truly important to you, but also to plan how to include more of it in your life. I've found that through therapy, I've become more adept at empowering myself through setting boundaries, making self-care a priority in my day, and making time for mindfulness and rest. As a result, I'm not so afraid of time anymore. If you're hoping to start therapy and are looking for a convenient and flexible way to include it in your schedule, BetterHelp is a great option. It's entirely online, you complete a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you have the ability to switch therapists anytime you like, at no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash darkcold today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash darkcold. Let's make time for a breath before this week's episode. Breathe in slowly. Observe the breath for a moment. And exhale gently. Let's begin. Well, 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 welcome, my friends. Here I am, and I have a story for you. We are in the proper room of the castle for it, of course. The one with the warm fire, the comfortable couches, the blankets... Maybe a nice cup of tea, if you like. Something good to eat. Is there anything else you want? I can bring it for you. I made this story for you, that I'm about to tell. But I can make you something else if you like. No. 
just the story then. For now, at least. I suppose that's what you want most if you've come here. So here I am with one. I was thinking about... I was thinking about... I was thinking about... I don't remember what. I was thinking it might be nice to share a story together. And I don't remember what made me think that I want this one to be a rapturous adventure into darkness, maybe. A surrendering to something nightmarishly sweet. A battle for what a person desires against what a soul seeks to come home to. Perhaps. Or maybe it's just another bedtime ghost story. Maybe that's what they all are. Either way, I am here with it. I have made it and brought it here. Listen as I unwrap it for you. Once upon a time, there was a soldier who was fighting in a war. Time is a strange and mysterious fabrication, because I suppose this soldier could have been in any time, really. It just so happens that this one excelled especially in flying an aeroplane. Although I'm not entirely certain that matters, because... I think he would have found his way to the rest of our story no matter what. Sometimes destiny is destiny, regardless of time or technology. But maybe he made it there a little faster because he was a skilled pilot. He hadn't become a skilled pilot because he wanted to fight in a war. Far from it. He learned how to fly, because he had a deep and aching longing to be nearer to the sky. His original desire was a very beautiful thing, in fact. But, unfortunately, desire can very easily be commandeered for the nefarious ends of others. Thus, his beautiful talent and his aching desire were taken and twisted by those who were not sky-drawn. His country needed pilots, and so off he went, a gentle person in all other respects, who had a love for his land and his people, and so wanted to protect them at all costs, another desire that was easily commandeered, too. Off he went, to the sky, his purpose and his dread, destruction. Though he soared high in the clouds, and his heart soared at the sight of them too, there was a heaviness that weighed him down. He carried something in his plane 
that was only destruction. A weapon. A weapon he would drop. And he thought to himself that, afterwards, he might try to pretend it never happened. He was flying, and something fell, but he didn't do it. It just fell. And he could fly away, and pretend he didn't see the explosion. And he could soar higher and higher, and let the light of the sun overtake the light of the fire below. But he knew it would all be pretend. He knew he would hold a deep responsibility within him that he might never atone for. Maybe it's not over, he thought. Maybe I can still change course. Maybe I can change the plan. Maybe... He wanted to. He desperately wanted to. But he knew he couldn't. But that didn't take away that want. That desire to drop it in the sea and call it an error. That desire to pretend that a malfunction kept him from fulfilling his orders. That desire to fly somewhere else and never return. Remember what I said about desires, though. There was something. Something in the sky. Something in the night that took the blue from the sky and replaced it with black. Something in the sliver of growing moon outside the window of his little plane. Something powerful. Something without desire or want. That took his desires. Took his wants. And commandeered them. A storm descended suddenly upon our sad pilot and it clutched at his wings and flung him around. The rain whipped against the glass with such strength he thought it might break. Lightning struck his engine so hard that smoke began to stream from the machine. And he knew then it was all up for him. Fire could not touch the parcel he carried in his vehicle or he would surely die. And so, preferring a storming sea below to an exploding inferno above, he whispered a prayer to whom he knew not, and pulled the big red lever that threw him up and out into the open air. His hands fumbled for the little drawstring he knew had to be attached to his backpack somewhere, and pulling it, a parachute opened above him. But it didn't do much in this storm, the rain still pounding, the wind blowing him this way and that, 
the lightning seeking him out in the darkness. He fell and he fell, not straight down but in a swirling, chaotic pattern, and splash. There he was, in the middle of the freezing ocean. In the pitch darkness, his heart pounded in terror at being so alone, so lost, so adrift, with nothing at all in sight. Nothing at all. Until... Lightning crashed again, and he saw only briefly before him, in the distance... An island. Removing his backpack, he began to swim frantically. There was no choice but to ignore the crashing waves around him. Just pull one arm forward and then the other. There was no choice but to ignore the shark fins circling his hapless frame. Just keep kicking your feet. There was no choice only swimming. And he made it. He didn't know how, but he did. In the darkness, he pulled his body to the shore and rested against the sand, weeping and gasping, whispering a prayer to whom he knew not. And soon falling asleep. He didn't know for how long, but the sun did not rise when he awoke. Perhaps he slept a whole day. Perhaps he had not really slept at all. But day did not come, not to this island. A little stronger after his sleep, he rose on shaking legs and decided he ought to find food and shelter. He went into the forest. Or was it a jungle? Or was it... What was it? Trees. Everywhere. Large rocks. Bushes brambles, overgrown greenery and flowers of kinds he'd never even imagined before, at least as far as he could feel with his hands, for he couldn't see a thing. And it was all just so thick, so dense, that he had to climb through with his hands. He had to pull at the brush with fingers already bloody from the sharp thorns around him. He heard the call of animals he didn't recognize. Sometimes an insect or a reptile would crawl over his foot or land on his arm, and he would scream and brush it away, praying to whom he knew not that the thing didn't bite him. Hours and hours passed. He didn't know how many. He had no lantern. No fire, no consistent light to travel by. But sometimes, 
lightning would strike. And just for a moment, he could see everything around him. Most of the time, just trees, rocks, sometimes an animal, here one moment, gone the next. Before being plunged into complete darkness for a while again, and he would travel as much as he could, in search of something, anything to protect him, to nourish him, to help him. Nothing. Nothing. Upon one lightning strike, he saw something that made him shriek. It was a figure, standing there, among the trees. Who's there? He cried out, and no reply was given. When lightning struck again, he could see that it was carved from stone. He made his way towards it, for it was shaped like a person, which meant that at some point a person must have been here. People, even. That was something. He ran his hands over it, trying to learn more about it. His hands reached up as far as they needed to to find its head in the darkness. Its face seemed not too unlike his. Two eyes, a nose, a mouth. The brow was furrowed just a little. The mouth set in a straight line. When lightning struck again, the man's suspicions were confirmed. The figure wore an expression of what could simply be described as curious ambivalence, slightly perplexed equanimity. Overall, almost expressionless. If it wasn't for just a hint of confusion. He clung to it for a few minutes, almost as though he were back in the sea, and this was the only thing that held him aloft. It felt a little like that, with the winds and the rain, and his being soaked to the bone, shivering and terrified for his life. But eventually, lightning struck again, and he saw beyond the statue a large stone with drawings carved into it. He made his way to that. He ran his fingers over it when it was dark, and he caught glimpses of it when lightning struck. It depicted a human figure. Arms, legs, a head, and around them, offerings, gold coins, large jewels, fruit, bread, meat, bottles full of what could be wine, perfume, oil, maybe. He surmised this was a deity, a civilization who was here before him had honored with gifts, 
of sparkling treasure, sumptuous meals, delightful gifts. Would he ever have such things again, our pilot wondered. Or would this be the last sight of them he would ever have? Crash. Lightning again. And he saw a large tapestry hanging from the bough of a tree nearby. A tree near to it caught fire on one of its branches in the lightning. He used the gift of light and warmth to run towards the tapestry, tear it down, lay it flat, and examine it. It was clearly made more recently than the carvings in stone were, and yet it still must have been at least hundreds of years old. There it was, a figure once again though not much could be told about it again. Not much except that the world behind them was green, and they were a dark and shadowy thing before that green. Yet its eyes were radiant. Its eyes were sparkling, because the weaver had sewn large crystals, diamonds maybe even, into the tapestry. Those were still bright, and they shone gold, red, yellow, reflecting the fire on the tree nearby. At the figure's feet was a horrific sight, though. Carpeting the ground before them were bodies, corpses, all with their heads separated from their bodies, and little beads made of broken glass, red and shining, peppered the ground on the tapestry too. Blood, blood everywhere. The tree branch finally had its fire put out by the rain, and the world went dark, again for our pilot. He felt his way back to the statue and the stone with the carvings, and he hung the tapestry across them, securing it as much as he could, making something of a tent for himself. The ground was soft here, if not cold and wet. He didn't know if he'd survive, but it was here that he could rest a little more, just for a little bit. He cried himself to sleep, for all he wanted was to be home. He wanted to be warm. He wanted a good meal. He wanted a friendly voice or a kind embrace. But he would have none tonight. So, he just slept. The watchful gaze of those diamond eyes in the tapestry watching over him. Morning never came, and he wasn't surprised. He only knew this place as night, as terrible darkness with occasional sudden and startling light.
rain, rain again, thunder all around him, beasts hiding in the shadows, plants seeking to poison him. But he was growing used to the dark, so at least there was that. He couldn't tell if it was hours or days or weeks that he was here, but it didn't matter as long as it was always dark and always storming. He would explore a little, but he couldn't catch any animals here. He couldn't fish in the dark. He couldn't find fruit or honey. He was terribly hungry, but still, he endured. He was very thirsty, but the only thing he could do was make a little basin with his hands. Sit patiently in the rain, breathing deeply and remaining still, so that he could drink water. The rain was perhaps a blessing more than a curse, for any time he felt weak and tired and at the end of his tether, he knew he could sit in the rain wait for a cup of water to form in his hands, and drink. And it would cool his raging hunger, clean his mouth, and give him enough strength and calm to keep going a little longer. One night, or hour, who knows, he sat in the rain, catching water in his hands to drink, everything dark around him as usual. When he had the distinct feeling that he was not alone. He couldn't tell you why exactly. It was just a sensation. Just a feeling that he was being observed. He didn't move for fear of losing his precious water, but he stayed perfectly still and waited. Inevitably there it was, as it always was, lightning. He had come to learn that the lightning came in a rhythm here. It appeared almost musically, predictably. But in the light this time, he caught sight of two figures, where there ought to have only been the statue. And, side by side, they were almost indistinguishable from one another, stone though one was. But what, our pilot wondered, was the other. He ruminated on it in the rain for some time. He was too afraid to move. He was tired. He was hungry. So though he feared whatever it was that was in this forest with him, he stayed sitting, and he breathed deeply. I want to go home, he thought. I want to be warm. I want a good meal. 
I want a friendly voice or a kind embrace. He thought a little more. He thought about how, when he had those things, after he had those things, he would want a nice house. He would want a pretty wife. He would want a job with better pay. And he thought honestly to himself that, if he found himself with those things, he might then want diamonds, rubies, tapestries, fine meats and fruits and gold treasures himself. He might want a nicer house, a prettier wife, even better pay. He thought about all of those things, and he let them slide off himself in the rain, shaking them off like a dog. And then there was just the rain again, and he remembered that that was truly all he wanted right now. So he stayed still, and he counted down to the next thunderclap and the next lightning strike. His eyes were lowered, and when the lightning came, he saw two feet before him. Large feet, the skin almost impossibly clean and soft given the earth beneath them, toenails perfect and shining. Lightning kept coming, over and over, and it did not stop. So he kept looking up, shaking and breathing deeply, resisting the urge to run, knowing it would do no good, knowing he would not make it on his own weak legs. Strong legs, he saw before him. A strong body of one who either had food or needed none. Arms strong and long and relaxed at the figure's sides, needing no adornment, no protection. And their heads stood tall and proud on their straight and strong spine, and their face hard to perceive in the flashing lightning which was sporadic and unreliable, wore a distinct expression of placid indifference. Eyes were crystalline, shining, reflecting the light that beat down from the sky incessantly, shining different colors and angles as it did. 
The pilot had never seen anything as beautiful as those eyes, nor anything as terrible as that expression. Here before him was the god depicted in the statue, the carvings, the tapestry. Here before him was a king of a realm unknown to him, and he could only guess at his rules. He knew nothing, really, but he had to try. Please. He started to beg. For what? He knew not. The figure did not move. The pilot sniffed. He sobbed. He wailed. I'm sorry. I never should have flown out here. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The figure did not move. I want to go home. I want to be warm. I want a good meal. I want a friendly voice or a kind embrace. The figure did not move. Please help me. The figure did not move. He turned his thought to the carving in the stone. He scrambled to remove everything he had on his person of any worth, which was not much. Some pennies from his pocket he threw at those feet. The broken watch on his wrist, that too. His grandfather's gold ring he wore on his middle finger. Down it went. His shoes, what remained of the shirt off his back, anything. The figure did not move. He turned his thought to the tapestry he had found. With dread, he took up a sharp stone from the ground, and he took a great and deep breath and sliced the palm of his hand before the figure. He held it up to them, shaking, but the figure did not move. Fearing that it wanted more, he sliced at his other hand, his arms. Bloody and desperate, he begged them not to take his head from him, not to take his life. Please. Spare him. The figure did not move. He just looked down on him. Unresponsive. Unemotional. Just slightly confused. He tilted his head a little to the side as he perceived the little man plainly in the lightning. How could something so beautiful be so cruel? Our pilot wondered.
he threw his head back and offered the figure his throat, begged him to take his life now, anything to not be here alone. The figure slowly leaned over, looking at the pilot as he knelt on the ground. He observed the blood. He kicked the gold and the shoes and whatever else aside. He brought those kaleidoscoping crystal eyes to those of the man before him. Almost nose to nose. And he only arched his brow a little more. His suffering did not move him. His sacrifice did not appease him. His offering did not entice him. What did he want? What do you want? The pilot begged through the tears and the rain. But the only answer was that light reflected back from those shining, clear eyes. What do you want? I want to be wet for his lens of good deeds. I want a friendly tennis for a kind. What do you want? He didn't know if he had been a good man or a bad man. He didn't know if the things he had wanted were true or false. He didn't know if he was that man anymore at all. He didn't know how long it had been or what time it was. But in this moment, he found he only wanted one thing. As he stared into those eyes, so close to his, he threw his arms around that strong neck that leaned over him, and he fell like a child into the embrace of this ancient god, this primal power, the figure that had been a fiction until now. All he wanted, right now, was to be held, to be safe, to be loved. So if that's how he was to die, let it be in pursuit of that. Let it be so, then. He clasped this god of the island tightly and wept into those immense shoulders and those mighty arms wrapped around him too and held him gently. After what could have been minutes, hours, days, whatever, the ancient god stood, and the pilot rose with him and stood on shaking legs too.
what was once a little frown of indifferent confusion, turned to loving and serene joy in a little smile on that face. The reflection in those eyes showing a surrendering trust and eternal patience for it. Without breaking eye contact, he reached a mighty arm up to grab something from a tree above. It was a red fruit, full and ripe. Looking up, our pilot saw the trees were full of them. Perhaps they always had been and he'd just never seen before. A sort of bliss fell over him. A deep gratitude as he took it from those soft, clean, enormous hands. And he ate well. The lightning stopped and a soft glow appeared over the horizon of the ocean. The sun was rising. Maybe it had been only one night. Maybe it had been an eternity in that one night. And this pilot stood at the edge of an island forest, looking out at the most glorious sunrise he'd ever seen. A deafening sound took over the peace of the moment as a rescue plane appeared shortly. A passenger in a uniform with binoculars peered from a window, frantically searching for a wreckage or a survivor in the water. The plane headed towards the island. The pilot felt hands on his shoulders steady and calm, neither urging forward nor pulling backward. Those hands had no wants or desires that could be commandeered. This god did not want suffering nor sacrifice, only, only, The pilot's heart began to beat rapidly as he thought about calling out to the plane. Climbing inside it, telling them of his journey, going home to be either decorated or reprimanded by commanding officers, returning to a little house, fighting again for little wants and petty desires. trying not to hate anyone ever again enough to hurt another soul, trying not to turn souls into things that were either for or against him. He thought about that feeling he had when he was up in the sky, 
a feeling that had only ever been matched. The moment he had when this figure, this spirit, this god, held him close. And when he saw that smile, he was alive because of that smile. And now he found he couldn't live without it. The plane came closer and closer. The passenger called out and waved. But all they saw was the disheveled, half-crazed figure of a pilot they had once known. Standing at the edge of the island forest. Smiling. 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 Tears streaming down his eyes, arms covered in blood, mouth dripping red with fruit juice. The passenger with the binoculars threw a rope ladder from the door of the plane and called out, but the pilot on the island did not move. The passenger with the binoculars was about to turn to the one piloting the plane to give an instruction. But they were stopped by the sight of two glowing, white, shining, radiant eyes in the shadow behind their old friend, their fellow soldier. The pilot smiled broadly, teeth red, too, as two large arms came out from those shadows, arms sometimes silhouetted and shadowy, sometimes flickering in their extreme radiance, as though from lightning within, and they wrapped themselves gently around the pilot's body and slowly pulled him into the forest. The one with the binoculars' eyes went wide and the blood drained from their face as they witnessed their friend be pulled ever so gently backwards into the forest. Absorbed by the forest, and light flashed within the shadows of the trees as though lightning were trapped in there too. And they saw the ancient god smiling broadly too, holding the pilot tightly, and the two figures laughed, wept in ecstasy, in bliss, before lightning struck and only forest remained. Well, my friends, there it is. A story. I made it for you. I hope you liked it. 
I don't know if it made you happy. It's all right. Just wanted you and me and everyone, anyone else, in the shadows around us to see that I am here for you with a story. There it was. And here we are. And good night, my friends. Hello, everybody, and thanks so much for joining me for episode 233 of On a Dark, Cold Night. This is your host, writer, narrator, composer, podcaster, etc., Kristen Zaza. I hope you've been well. I hope you are well. I hope you're warm and comfortable and safe right now. And I hope that, if you're not about to get some good rest... You will soon. It's tough out there, and hard to do that sometimes. I'd like to start off with a shout-out to an awesome podcast called High Nye, which, if you like On a Dark Cold Night, you should absolutely check out. High Nye, literally translated to Hi Mom, is a supernatural horror audio drama about Filipina immigrant Mari Dachuin, whose babaylan, or shaman family background, accidentally gets her involved in stopping dangerous supernatural threats in Toronto. Hey, that's where I am. Throughout the story, she's joined by two supernatural detectives, her six-foot-tall, axe-wielding lesbian neighbor, and a celebrity guru conman with real magic powers. The story mixes different horror themes, including Filipino folk horror, urban fantasy, historical fiction, body horror, and so on, with undertones of uniquely Filipino political horror. Content warnings are included in the description of every episode. It was originally conceptualized in response to other horror titles where mystical POC are often relegated to side characters, or exposition tools, despite being the experts in that situation. Now, that mystic or shaman is the protagonist, it's an analog-style horror fiction audio drama, with the story told through phone calls and recordings. People have described it as genuinely terrifying, with the BBC podcast Radio Hour describing it as powerfully written. Others have described it as their comfort podcast. If you like queer Asian horror from a Filipina writer and a tiny indie team of four, inspired by works such as the Magnus Archives, come give the podcast a listen. Follow them on their socials at HainaiPod, that's H-I-N-A-Y-P-O-D, and maybe even support the Hainai fundraiser over on coffee.com slash HainaiPod. That's ko-fi.com slash H-I-N-A-Y-P-O-D. Thanks, friends. I'd love to send a thank you to my newest monthly Patreon supporter, Cheryl Farmer, for joining us this month. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I appreciate it deeply. And thank you so much to you and to everybody on Patreon for helping me continue to produce the show. If you'd like to join too, here are some perks you can look forward to. Supporters of $1 or more US a month receive access to my complete soundtrack of over 200 pieces of music, 
and listeners of $5 US or more a month get that, access to a weekly bonus meditation episode released every Thursday called My Quick Moments, and a monthly tarot reading video I share every month on the full moon. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. If you'd like to donate one time only with no perks, visit ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight, or buy a t-shirt or hoodie at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. You can also access my quick moment meditations every Thursday by subscribing to the Sonar Plus Apple Podcast channel for $3.99 a month, where you can listen to those and lots of other great Sonar Network bonus and ad-free content. You can subscribe by visiting On a Dark Cold Night on Apple Podcasts, or searching for the Sonar Network, or visiting thesonarnetwork.com for more information. It would be a great help if you're enjoying the show if you could leave a rating and a review for On a Dark Cold Night wherever you like to do so. iTunes, Spotify, Facebook, Podchaser, or your favorite podcast streamer. I'd be ever so grateful. You can follow me on social media on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, on Facebook or YouTube under On A Dark Cold Night, or on TikTok at Kristen Zaza. These are great ways to reach out if you have a question you'd like me to explore in an upcoming episode. You can also find me on Spotify with my album, Favorite Little Songs from On A Dark Cold Night. 17 tracks, 14 of them are some of my favorite songs from the show, and the other three are the three variations of the theme song from seasons one to three. Feel free to check that out. Thank you so much for listening this week, my friends. Continue to take care of your hearts out there. And while I hope that you get many things that you want, I also hope that we can listen to the quiet voice within ourselves that knows what it is we really need. Sweet dreams, everybody. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.